Church, it's good to be here with you all, man. It's good to see you guys. You give God a hand clap. It's always good to gather, just refreshing for our souls. Man, life is, is difficult. Um, and so uh, for, for all who are here today physically present, man, I'm just, I'm encouraged to see you all. I hope that in coming you do feel like this is a safe environment. Uh, we do go through a lot of measures to take temperatures for all who walk in, to uh, require face masks, have hand sanitizer everywhere, and so uh, keep the, the, the rows uh, six feet apart. And for those who are watching online, maybe you're curious, thinking, am I, am I ready to come? And, and uh, of course, if you're not ready to, to, to worship or gather with people yet, um, that's why we have this live stream, and we're so glad you're joining with us. But I suspect there might be some who are saying, you know, I, th- I think I'm ready. So we, we want you to know that we, we do our best to make things safe here as we, as we get together. Um, what gets it so exciting is just to, to feel the, 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 the Spirit of God working here in our midst. And, uh, and he does so even in your room online or here in this sanctuary. But God's at work, and he uses uh, worship and song and the reading of God's Word to really uh, edify and, and lift up our souls. And so we just got a lot to be thankful for. We got a lot to be thankful for. You know, I love baseball. I've shared that with you guys before. And uh, this has been a good weekend to be a White Sox fan. But one thing that's true, both White Sox and Cubs, is uh, both their franchises have done something pretty radical over the last, you know, five to ten years. What their general managers have done was there came a time where they realized we have some good players, but our team's not good enough. So in order to get better, we first got to get worse. So these general managers traded off some of their top-level players, their, their real assets, to, in order to acquire prospects. So they'll, they'll trade off a seasoned veteran who's an all-star to get some guys who are up-and-coming in the hopes that they will materialize into something good. Now, the Cubs did so successfully and won a World Series, what, five years ago or so, and they, they had all these prospects who happened to bloom at the same time. The White Sox are in that place where we're hoping that's going to happen for us right now. But what happens is, during that time when you've traded off your good players, there's some really dark seasons that come with that sports fan. There's, there are the ugly years of the franchise. Those are the years where you cringe to watch your team. But what keeps you watching is the hope that the prospects will come together one day. The hope of the future is what sustains you during the middle of the hard times. That's what it's like to be a sports fan that sustains you. But the truth is that that's what sustains us as the people of God. If you are a Christian today, which means you have put your faith in Jesus, you have turned away from your sin, you've asked God to forgive you, and you're part of his family now. If you are a follower of Jesus... Days that we live in today are difficult, but I want you to know that the prospects of the future give you reason to hope in the sufferings of the present. Y'all with me here? I want y'all to know something else. What's different about God with these baseball franchises is these baseball franchises hoped that these prospects would materialize. They don't know for sure if this guy who's touted to be a great pitcher will actually become one. But with God, on the other hand, God's farm system, his promises in the Bible will materialize, church. 
They will come through. Nothing's going to hold them back. God knows what he's promised, and he has the power to make those things come to fruition. And for that reason, we have a future hope that gets us through the present struggles. Today, we're going to talk about what it looks like when those present struggles actually become quite overwhelming. In fact, there are times where we look at the news and we're wondering what's going on. When we look through our history books and we hear of, and even in the current days, genocidal dictators who want to wipe out and eliminate an entire people group. It's easy to ask God, are you really in control? Or when human tragedies take place, you think, God, did you really allow this? When natural disasters hit an island or a a people's, God, how can this be? When a novel virus spreads globally, God, can't you stop this? When evil people do evil things, God, where are you? When gang violence, when racism, when abuse and manipulation and power plays and insults and peer pressure and social ostracism and persecution and family rejection hit you, it's easy to ask God, what's going on with this? You see, what I want us to understand something is that we need to brace ourselves because things are actually going to get worse before they get better. I want us to understand that just because we who follow Jesus are followers of him, we should not expect that things are going to immediately get better and easier. We are not going to be unscathed from the challenges and hurts and heartaches of this world. So I want you to hear that word. Brace yourself. Because things will get worse before they get better, but things will get better, church. The prospects of the future will sustain us through the hard times of the present. If you find yourself in a hard time, if you find yourself concerned or worried or overwhelmed, I want you to know that there is reason to hope. Today, we're going to take a look at the book of Daniel, chapters 7 and 8. Daniel is a prophet, and he prophesies these chapters telling about a vision that he saw. I'd love for you to stand with me if you're able to, whether you're here in this sanctuary or at home in your living room or bedroom, wherever you're at. Would you stand as we uh, give ourselves to God's word as I read from Daniel chapter 7? I'm going to read a large, of this, large part of this uh, passage, and I just want us to hear what God has to say as we study this word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and the visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirred up up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. You read that correct, church. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. Can you say like a bear? Like a bear. It was raised up on one side. 
It had three ribs in its mouths between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard. Can you say like a leopard? With four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. How about that image? And then verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words of the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, Their dominion was taken away, and their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. And then this, these next three verses, watch this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is God's word. You may be seated. How about that passage for you all? This is one of those passages in the Bible when you read it, you're like, look, man, I don't know. Raise that white flag. God, I surrender. I don't know what you're trying to say here. You just talked about a leopard with four heads and four wings, right? And we're here reading this, and we're like, what is going on? So I need you to know something. This kind of literature or writing in the Bible is called apocalyptic literature. Something to be apocalyptic means it's, it's been revealed. Apocalyptic literature is meant to be interpretive, in, interpreted figuratively. These are not literal images. These are, these are ideas of things that a person had seen. And in this case, Daniel saw a vision at night of these different creatures, and he describes them as best as he can using language that's familiar to us. But even as I read that, if you're like me, I can almost feel Daniel struggling to find the right words to describe this creature he's seeing. And when we see passages like these, we've got to understand that God is still trying to tell us something. Today we're going to see that God gives a picture of what's going to happen to Daniel and God's people in the immediate and distant future. 
But he's also going to point to something in the far distant end times future. And these end times kind of passages have a purpose for us, church. The reason is this, that God is like, look, there is a prospect of hope on the horizon and it may be in the distant, but he wants his people to trust his farm system and know that he's going to follow through when things are difficult in these seasons. When the hard times are coming, God's like, I need you to know that I've got a plan. I not only have an imagination, but I also have a plan, and I have the power for this plan to be followed through. And so that's the purpose of these passages. But we've got our hands full here to try to understand the images. And I thank God that he doesn't leave us to our own creative imaginations because I think if all of us sat down and said what these things meant by our own strength, we're going to come up with as many different people as there are in this room, interpretations from this text. But Daniel, who actually is, has the ability to interpret all kinds of dreams throughout the book of Daniel, is finally stumped. He's like, I don't know what this is that I'm seeing. And in verse 15, if you look over there, Daniel says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there, that is, by the, stood by the Ancient of Days, and asked him the truth concerning all this. So they told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17 is key. He says, These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. If we had time to look at chapter 8, which we won't have a lot of time today, but it gives us also some ideas of what's meant here. And what is this? Each of these four beasts symbolize a kingdom, a nation. Now in verse 1, Daniel says that he saw this vision during the times of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So this takes place before Daniel and the lions then, before the writing on the wall. And so Daniel is living during the time of this great Babylonian kingdom. And as God would have it, as we look at this passage, that first beast that he sees coincides with the Babylonian empire. If you notice there in verse 4, out of the sea, he sees this lion that had eagle's wings. But this lion, this great beast, also had his wings plucked off, if you see that in verse 4. Lions were often used in Babylonian art. They were the signified strength, and it was also used to to, um, uh, to describe their kings. And the greatest king of Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar, the great king who conquered Israel, God's people. But Nebuchadnezzar grew proud, as we saw in chapter 4, so much so that God had to humble him to the point where he is eating grass like an ox. He is that lion with these great wings, but his wings were plucked. He was humbled. In fact, he even lost his sanity for a time. But eventually, as we see here in verse 4, that he was made to stand on two feet like a man, and, his, and the mind of a man was given him. God will restore him back to his power and give him back his sanity. And so this first beast, this lion with wings, uh, is figurative for the Babylonian kingdom. God is basically t- telling Daniel, all right, but I'm about to tell you what's coming next. The next image he sees is one like a bear. And the description of this bear is saying it was, it was raised up on one side. And so we don't know exactly what that means, 
But what we do know is that the nation that comes after the Babylonians is the Median Persian Empire. The Medes and the Persians came with an alliance, but the Persians were more powerful and ended up consuming the Medes. They, that's why this, 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 uh, this bear is raised up on one side. There is a, a greater nation, the Persians. It says this bear has three ribs in its mouth, which likely uh, describes the three nations that they conquered. The, the nations of Lydia, the Egyptians, and the Babylonians. And so Daniel's given this image of a of nation rising, this, this bear-like creature. But then there's a third beast that he sees, and this is remarkable. It is one that's like a leopard in verse 6. It had four wings and four heads. Now, leopards are fast creatures. They are stealth and they pounce upon their prey quickly. This leopard actually also had four wings. So it's giving you this picture of something that's fast and swift and powerful. Well, the nation to come after the Persians were the Greeks, led by Alexander the Great. Alexander lived, uh, reigned as king for only 12 years. But in those 12 short years, he managed to conquer the world as he knew it. In fact, he took the Persian Empire and humbled them with a great defeat. And history books tell us that so supposedly uh, Alexander the Great, as he went back to Greece, began to weep because there are no more nations to conquer. Poor guy, right? It's a hard life. But when Alexander dies, his kingdom is divided among his four generals, which is there illustrated by the four heads of this leopard. So God has given Daniel a picture of the things that are to come in the immediate future, the Persians, but a little more distance with the Greeks and then with this final beast, which is to demonstrate and figuratively speak of the Roman Empire. This beast is said to be dreadful, terrifying, exceedingly strong. It is one that devours. It has iron teeth. In verse 8, we're told that there are ten horns that come out of his head. But then we're given this this really wild... uh, description that it says behold in this horn this, there's a little horn that comes up uh, where am I in verse 8 I considered the horns and behold there came up among them another horn a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and behold in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great or even evil or blasphemous things now this is quite a description like, what, what is God trying to tell Daniel here? What is he trying to let him know? Well, clearly he's telling Daniel, you are under subjugation of the Babylonian empire. But things will not get better anytime soon. In fact, there's always going to be another empire to come and overcome them. And I think what God is telling Daniel is also what he wants us to know, is that turmoil and unrest are not a new phenomena but our recycled realities. Just imagine what they were all going through in these days, the uncertainty of who's the next nation. Are we going to make it through this year? Where is war coming from? One thing after the other, unknown after unknown, kind of like the year we're living in. And God is basically saying, turmoil and unrest, that's par for the course in human existence. This is a reality that will be constantly recycled. We see here one nation being overcome by another. It's like an episode from this show that we watch called Monster Fish. 
Have you ever seen this? There's this, this guy who's a phenomenal fisherman, and he likes to travel the world and look for these rare uh, sea creatures, whether it be in seas, rivers, lakes, wherever. And it was one particular episode that we were watching where he wanted to catch this great fish, and I don't remember the name of it. But in order to get this fish, he actually needed to use a smaller fish as bait. So he takes a small, tiny bait, like a worm. He fishes for another fish. He catches a fish. And then he's like, okay, this fish is good bait for the bigger fish. So he puts it on his line. He casts his line with this fish on it. And sure enough, he snags this larger fish. And he's working hard to reel it in. And as it's getting closer, you guessed it. A bigger fish comes and swallows that fish and takes it off and goes. And he looks at the camera like, whoa. The illustration tells us this. There's always a bigger fish in the pond, right? There's always another one. And that's how these nations are going. There's another nation that's going to come one after the other. And God's telling Daniel, this, this, this world you live in is one filled with unrest and turmoil. And don't be surprised by it. This shouldn't keep you at all surprised. But there's something else that Daniel sees here in this vision that God wants us to understand. He mentions seeing a little horn coming out of what's understood to be the Roman Empire. But this little horn is different. It begins to speak blasphemous words. And that should trigger something for us, because as we read the Bible, we see in the book of Revelation, as John has a vision of the end times, he actually sees a very similar picture. In, in, in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to highlight some things. He says he sees a beast with ten horns. Sound familiar? He says it also has ten crowns, and crowns signify kingdoms, kings. He says that, uh, that on its horns, it says, on each head there was a blasphemous name. He said, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. This is imagery of the nations conquered. But then he goes on to say this, that there was a dragon, who we find in previous chapters is referring to Satan, that puts this beast in power. And people worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast. And they asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? See, as we read this beast-like figure in the end times from other passages, it's what's often known as the Antichrist. This wicked, this final evil being in the future still yet to come. It says the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. Again, like the horn we see in Daniel 7. And he would do so for 42 months. That's three and a half years. He would blaspheme God. And then it says this, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. What we're told here, church family, is that in the last days, there will still yet be an arch enemy, this, this great wicked one who would come and persecute God's people. But look at chapter 7, verse 21. What it says about this horn, it says, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. What God is telling Daniel is, there are enemies of mine that are past and present and still yet future. And one thing that's always consistent is that Satan's true agenda is to make war against the saints. 
This is what God wants Daniel to understand. That Satan ultimately wants to war against God's people because he wants to demolish them. And what we're told in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 is that it appears that Satan is victorious. He prevails over God's people. Now, these naturally would be really disheartening words, right? Like, as we're thinking, things, this, this is bad news. But as we said earlier, is brace yourself because things will get harder before they get better, but things will get better. As we brace ourselves, we have to keep our head in the fight. We have to understand that the trials we experience, the hard times we're experiencing now, are all actually according to God's plan. God's not only got an imagination, church, but he's got a plan. Not only does he have a plan, but he also has the authority and power to execute that plan. And because of that, we can trust him in the turmoil. He's telling Daniel, look, man, like, don't be disheartened. You got to know this is all going according to my plan. You may not understand it right now. You may not understand why things are happening, but I do need you to know they're not outside of my control. And because of that, you can fight this good fight. In fact, as part of the enemy's ploy, to prevail over us. Look what it says in verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints. How about that image? He will wear out the saints. In high school, uh, my girlfriend at the time, which has become my wife now, gave me a shirt. Uh, it was a Ralph Lauren red polo shirt. And back in the, the, the mid-90s, like, Ralph Lauren shirts were like, it was the thing, y'all. And if you weren't there, you, don't, you just don't know, okay? But I thought I was all that because I had a red Ralph Lauren polo shirt. I loved that shirt. I loved it so much, I wore it like every three days. And I kept wearing it. And years went by. And eventually, um, after who knows how many washes, after how many dries, one day we were home and I looked in my closet and I saw this pink shirt there and thinking, how did I get this pink shirt? And it happened because that was actually my red shirt. Just after that many washes, it wore itself out, and it became pink. Basically, what, what God's telling us here is that one of the tactics of Satan is to put you through the washer, is to put you through the ringers, to wear you down in your faith in order to prevail against the people of God. I know in our day right now, things become so overwhelming. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like I'm getting worn out by the narrative on the news. I'm getting worn out by the messaging on social media. I'm getting, I'm getting worn out by my own battles, by my own struggles, and we're getting tired. And what God is telling Daniel and what God is telling you and me is that things are going to be this way, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So either you give up or you fight. Or you fight. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 10, and six, chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we make war against the enemy. And so these words are coming to Daniel, and it's there saying, look, Daniel, this is the truth. Some of you all might be saying, like, man, saying that things are going to get worse? I mean, it's bad now, but you're telling me it's going to get worse? That sounds alarmist. 
That sounds defeatist. That sounds fear-mongering. And I'm saying it's just the truth. It can sound however you want it to sound. It's the truth. God has said so. And we know from history, yeah, the Persians came. And they were more ruthless than the Babylonians. And yeah, we know that the Greeks came and they defeated the Persians. And yeah, we know the the Roman Empire raised up and defeated the Greeks. Yeah, we know throughout history the Nebuchadnezzars, the Hitlers, the Mussolinis, the Stalins, and so forth and so on. There are wicked rulers, even in our own day, who would want to subjugate peoples. And God's like, I told you this was going to happen. For this reason, we got to stay in the fight. Don't let the enemy invalidate your faith through your failures. Something that, that, that came to mind this past week, uh, we were trying to meet with some couples, my wife and I, and some other, uh, other leaders were doing similarly. And uh, lo and behold, this, this tends to happen. Whenever Erica and I are ready to do a counseling session with another couple, guess what happens to us the day before or the day of? We need one of those, right? We get in an argument. And when there was one couple saying, man, we got in a fight the day before. I'm like, the day before? We got in a fight an hour before. All right. And what the enemy wants to do is wear you down to make you think that invalidates you and think in your life how he wants to do that, how he wants to put you down so that you can begin to lose heart. Satan's true agenda is to make war against the saints, saints, but we fight through prayer. We fight through feasting on the word. We fight by being in community. We fight by living life on life with people. Daniel's given this vision. But at the end of the day, Daniel might be thinking, God, this, this, is, pretty, this is still pretty hard. Like, like it's going to get harder? And God's like, yeah, it is. But, but look at verse 9, though. It will get better. In verse 9, Daniel sees this in his vision. He says, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days is another name for the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, Yahweh himself. He calls himself the Ancient of Days, not because he thinks he's an old man, but because he realizes that I'm at the beginning of time. I'm outside of time. I'm at the head of days. I'm at the source of time. God's like, he's been around the block. God's like, everything comes from me. I am the ancient of days. And because I'm the ancient of days, I'm actually in control of everything that happens in time and space. And he's telling Daniel, look what you see here. Not only does he see God, but he sees God on his throne. He doesn't see God panicking. He doesn't see God wondering or pacing about. But God is seated because he's in control. He's not just sitting on his regal throne as king, but he's also sitting on his throne as judge. The description that Daniel sees of God is that his clothing was white as snow, which is to illustrate God's moral purity. His hair was like pure wool, which shows it's, it's aged, which means it's wise and it's eternal. His throne had fiery flames, which is to signify God's judgment, which often comes with fire. And there God is seated in control. And we see at the ver- end of verse 10, the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. God's like, let me, let me open my books here. Here in Daniel and elsewhere in the Bible, especially even in Revelation, we're told that God has a book. Whether it's figurative or literal, we don't know, but it'd be a big book if it were literal. 
But basically God's saying, in my book is written the names of those who belong to me. Those who are not in my book will receive my judgment. And among those who are not written are these wicked rulers and kings. And because they're not in my book, God's like, I'm going to execute judgment. So the vision that Daniel has is one that's going to get harder before it's going to get better. But he sees the prospect. He sees the farm system of God's promises. He knows, but it's going to get better because the ancient of days is going to execute judgment. That's reason to hope for sure. How does the ancient of days establish his kingdom and his rulership? One verse Uh, 11, we're told that he kills this beast. Here, I think he's speaking more so of this antichrist under Satan's power, more so than even of a measly Roman empire. God kills this beast and subjugates it to his own reign. And in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, Daniel says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting one. And it shall not pass away. And his kingdom won't be destroyed, we're told here. Who is this son of man? This this one that's going to reign as king on the throne that the ancient of days places him at. Who is this son of man? Well, we have the advantage that Daniel didn't have. He had a picture that he hoped for. We, on the other hand, are seeing things as they had already unfolded. Because on the scene just a few hundred years later would be God himself who took on human flesh, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus came with authority. He came with the power to execute the plan. And as Jesus came, he healed people of diseases. He forgave people of sins. And so the people there, the religious leaders, had a problem with Jesus. How dare you forgive sins? Only God could do that. And Jesus asked them, what's more difficult, to heal a paralyzed man so that he can walk or to tell someone that their sins are forgiven? But then Jesus says this, I want you to know that the Son of Man, title, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So to do so, he tells the man, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus says, that son of man title, that's me. When Jesus was doing a healing people on the Sabbath day, he says, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the son of man. I'm the one of Daniel 7. I'm the king who's going to come and execute judgment and reign on the throne for eternity. But how would he do this? How would Jesus be that one who would establish his kingdom? How would he be the one to deliver us, the saints, from this oppression of the world we live in? Well, in order for him to take the crown, he had to wear the crown of thorns. He had to go to the cross. And as he was betrayed by Judas and put under trial, the chief priests asked him straight up, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you who you say you are? What's going on? And Jesus says, I am. Taking the title from Jehovah Yahweh himself. And then Jesus says, and you will see the Son of Man 
sitting at the right hand of the mighty one, coming on the clouds of heaven. What is Jesus quoting? But Daniel 7, 13. You will see me coming back one day after I take this cross on. Jesus would go to the cross to pay for your and my sin, taking the punishment, the judgment, the damnation that you and I deserve. Jesus took it on the cross, went to the grave, and defeated death to give you and I life through faith in him. And then what happens 40 days later, he ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. This is what Jesus does to fulfill God's promises. Even in the early church, as Stephen, the first Christian to be killed for his faith, is being stoned, he opens his eyes and God gives him a vision of the throne room. And it says this in Acts 7. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing there. And then here, uh, Stephen says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus was then, that's where Jesus is now, and that's where he'll be for all of eternity, reigning as the king of all kings. This is what God wanted Daniel to understand. He said, yes, brace yourself. It's going to get harder before it gets better, but it's going to get better because our God is supreme and he wins in the end. That's what Daniel needed to know. And that's what Daniel began to cling to. And that's what God wants you and I to cling to in the midst of the uncertainties we live in today. When Jesus comes, he will reign as a king and as the judge. He will be just in his judgment, church. He will hold the guilty accountable. He will deliver the innocent. He will not show partiality. He will not be swayed by bribery. He won't be afraid of retaliation. He will only be consumed with what is right. And just like he showed compassion to the woman at the well, he will reign with compassion. He will reign with boldness as he was bold in the temple when he overturned tables. He will reign giving people life as he spoke life to Zacchaeus. And he will reign with authority as he had authority over the winds and the waves and over death. Jesus is that king. In verse 22, it says that until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, God would deliver the saints in the days to come. We see a pattern unfolding here. That as the saints are worn out over time, God saying, hey, I'm going to come and make this right. In verse 26, God says this, But the court shall sit in judgment, and this Antichrist, his dominion will be taken away, and he will be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. And the the, the Son of Man, his kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Daniel says there in verse 28, Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, and I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel's trying to understand and grasp. If we had time, we'd see uh, Daniel chapter 8, where he sees yet another vision two years later. And he sees one of a ram with two horns and a goat, similarly symbolizing these these kingdoms of Persia and Greece. 
But ultimately, he sees a vision of this other great ruler coming in out of the Greek empire who's going who's gonna to abuse God's people. He's going to cause worship to cease in the sanctuary. He's going to throw down truth, it says. And there Daniel, again, is alarmed. Like, really, God? Like, is this going to keep happening? And then we're told God's going to even crush that guy down. And, and this cycle just keeps coming and coming. And here we are in 2020, and we're like, not much has changed. Just one other fish swallowing the other, evil after evil. But God's saying he's going to bring it all to an end one day. So in the meantime, brace yourself. Brace yourself. Turmoil and unrest, they're nothing new. This, this is not a new phenomenon. It's a recycled reality that's going to keep going. And keep in mind as we walk this earth that Satan's true agenda is to make war against you, the people of God. And so we've got to fight and keep our head in the fight. And as we do so, we keep in mind that God is supreme and he wins at the end. And so long as we don't lose sight of that, we can hold on and trust him. Our God not only has an imagination, but he's got a blueprint. He's got a plan. And he has the authority and power to execute that plan. And so we can trust him because we know that although better will be delayed, it's going to come. It's going to come for all who put their faith in Jesus. And we want you to do that today. Perhaps you are a Christian. You have put your faith in Jesus. You hold on to the fact that our God wins. And we will be with him for eternity. And if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, maybe you've been keeping God at arm's length or you've been kind of around Christianity for a time or maybe you were raised in the church or you're a part of a, a Christian family, don't assume that that means you are forgiven. You yourself must come to this Jesus. You yourself must say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I embrace you as my king, as the one who died for my sin. But when you do so, God says he will adopt you into his family as his daughter or his son. And he will give you the sure hope of eternal life because things then will get better for you. This is the hope we have, church, in the midst of our present struggle. It's the hope that God's got a great farm system. And his promises, his farm system, will come to fruition. And let that hope sustain you no matter what comes your way. Amen. You give God, yeah, let's give God a hand clap and give him praise. Father in heaven, we do give our, we give you our clap. We give you our praise. We give you our rejoicing. God, just as Daniel was overwhelmed by what he saw, we know that he had a hope. He had a hope that was unshakable because his hope was in you. And Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes on you when we feel worn out by the day we live in, that we would say, God, help us. Lord, keep us united as a church. Keep us above reproach. Keep us in the game, Lord. I pray that every breath we have, we would would inhale your grace and exhale, Lord, your praise. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, stand up, church. Let this room resound. Let this place echo. Let those who are online hear this place echo. And if you're watching online right now, let your bedroom be a sanctuary. Let your living room, your kitchen, be a sanctuary in God's presence as we sing to the greatness of our God.
God, we know that you not only know what's happening in the distant future, but God, you know what confronts us tomorrow, this week, September. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can trust you. We trust your power. You control your might. And, Lord, I ask that we would go out today just remembering, Lord, that you've got us when our faith is in you, Lord. For any who are still on the fence, just wrestling about the faith, Lord, I pray that they would uh, truly raise their white flag, God, and come to you and say, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you. God, thank you for just being so consistent. You're so good to us. We just lift up our praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll leave you with this blessing from God's word before we're dismissed. Before I even say that, just it's, it's good to be with you all. Uh, we love you so much, and we're so thankful to see how God moves in our hearts. And I know, I know He's saying something. I know He's working in us as individuals through our services, but throughout the week. And so I'm just grateful, grateful that God is always at work and never grows tired. That's what His Word says. He says, "Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you." And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God bless you, church family. That's the promise of our God over you, his children. You are dismissed. Uh, We encourage you to hang out on our front lawn. God bless you. We'll see you next week.